than imagination or imagination better than reason. The question is, are both of them submitted to the Holy Spirit? If they're under the guidance and control of the Holy Spirit, you can trust using them. If they're not, don't. Either one. Okay? But some people have been taught... And this, this stupid idea has stayed around for some time that any any form of healing that involves the use of the imagination is new age because new age people do that stuff. New age people do that stuff because they have imaginations too. Believe me, they're not doing that stuff under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. They're doing that stuff under the guidance of evil spirits. It's like handguns. Okay? Handguns are neither good or bad. They're good or bad depending on who's holding them and for what purpose. Reason and, and, and ability to imagine, their facilities, their, their empowerments that God has given us all depends on how they're used. So don't run from them just because it might involve the mental imagery. The greatest healings and the greatest truths that I've received from God, more than half of them have been pictures where he showed me something in my mind's eye and he and I were interacting in some way. I saw him in a new way. Now, how do you test them? Is that thing I imagined in my mind's eye consistent with the Bible? Are the, are, is what happened and the point of that imagery consistent with the truths taught in the Bible? If it is, I can trust it. If it isn't, throw it away. Same with ideas. Is this idea for church growth of paying everybody to come to church? Is that consistent with the Bible? First of all, the church isn't going to last long, but you can fill it up for a few Sundays. Is this idea I'm having, this, this reasoning I'm going through, is this, is this of God? Well, test it against Scripture. The person that needs to feel in control all the time, they're so good at managing their fears and so creative at it, that they have maintained control of themselves and everybody around them, and they've got their life nicely sorted out and everything in the right boxes and everything controlled, and as long as they stay in control, they feel safe and secure. But the minute you start talking about doing this kind of thing where we wait on the Lord to speak, and it's not their reasoning that's figuring things out, they are in a land they've not been in for a long time, and they're scared because they feel, quote, out of control. And they need to be reassured that they were never in control and that the control that they were in has not worked and that's why they're with you. You understand? You wouldn't be coming for help if your system was working. Hence, you in control of your life hasn't brought about the results you want. Let's slacken the control a little and give God a chance to speak and see what happens. They've got to get over that. Next, there's a, the person's need to please the counselor. Sometimes people just want to please you so much that they'll tell you anything you want to hear and they'll just come up with stuff and they'll appear to be making progress and whatnot, but it's just people pleasing. If you sense you're with a person who's doing that, just take them off the hook. You tell them this, you can't fail at this. This isn't about you or me. We're just waiting on the Lord. There's no right response here. There's no right answer. And it's not a test. It's an expiration together. Finally, overzealousness by the leader. You know, it's that midwifery thing, cesarean versus national, natural childbirth, what you were talking about, Ann. You, you, you pushed too soon and you rushed it, so you messed up the process and ended up in the hospital instead of the home birth that you really wanted. If you'll be patient and you'll wait, trust the Lord, 
Let it unfold at its own time. You're always better off. Okay, we're done. Let's get back on to this stuff about how you do it. Oftentimes, as you're praying for the person, they're still in the memory. You know what I mean? Like their eyes are closed and they're, they're still living that memory. And you're praying for God to speak. Oftentimes, something changes in that memory. Maybe they see Jesus in the memory and he's doing something like I described. Maybe they see a light in the memory. Maybe they start to feel a physical sensation in the memory. Maybe they start to feel warm. Maybe a subtle little emotion starts to shift and rise up inside of them. And they sense that peace or a little inkling of joy or something like that. Ask them what's going on. One of the questions, I don't just say, what are you hearing? I say, what are you seeing? Tell me what you're seeing right now. And oftentimes they'll start to describe what they're seeing. And if I close my eyes, I see it too, just just like vividly. And you can really see what God's doing in that memory. So it isn't always what you're hearing in your head or the emotions even. Sometimes it's what you're seeing. God can communicate in every one of our senses. Do you understand? Strangely, interestingly, God can even communicate with the sense of smell. Really. They can smell something that came from God. That takes them to a referred, you know how scent will take you to a referred memory. Like you'll be walking along, so you'll smell something, and bam, you're 15 years old in love for the first time, and it's the, it's the perfume that she was wearing. And all of a sudden, you're reduced to this stammering fool that doesn't know what to say in the presence of loveliness. That was kind of poetic. I just <laughs> a little poetry. So God can communicate in any one of the senses. So as a good counselor, you're watching for that. You're watching for clues that will give away what they're receiving, a change in their body posture, a change in their facial expression, a different look in their eyes. Um, I mean, they might be sitting there all of a sudden just sort of go like this, like their head moves as if something just happened. Never be afraid to say, what's going on right now? What are you feeling right now? Are you seeing something? Are you hearing something? What is it? And get them to describe it. And then, of course, the question is, what's God trying to say with that? What's he communicating to you in this moment? Because he's communicating something. What do you think it is? Listen. What are you saying, Lord? One of the lies that stops people from hearing from the Lord, one of the root lies that will often prevent a person in this context from hearing from the Lord is a deep-seated belief that they're not worthy to hear. Do you understand? I mean, you've tried everything else and they're not getting it. One of the things you can ask is, Before we go any further, how do you think God feels about you? What are his? We know what your emotions are towards his. What do you think his emotions are towards you? He tolerates me. Clue, clue, clue. Well, he loves me, but he doesn't like me. Clue, clue, clue. You with me? What are God's emotions about you? And I mean, that just gives away so much. How do you think God feels about you? I told this story before, but guys, I love this so much when this happened to me. This is, I don't know, about like six months ago. Like I'm 59, almost 59 years old. You'd think I'd know better. All the stuff I know, like I know a lot of stuff, I'm still screwed up inside. So I'm sitting out in my backyard, and I'm having my quiet time, and um, I'm comparing myself to the last guest speaker we had at church. There is, there is a losing proposition, right? I mean, some guy blows in, blows up, and blows out. 
And when he blows up, he blows the Holy Spirit all over everybody, and we're all just raving about how wonderful he is, and the guy's brilliant. We don't see that he's a jerk, that his wife thinks he's an idiot. You know, We don't get to see any of that. We just see him at his best under the unction of the Holy Spirit. So comparing yourself to these guys is a losing proposition. But I was doing it. You know, he prays 18 hours a day. He never sleeps. He studies the Bible. He knows it in Greek and Hebrew backwards. You know, he's so amazing. He's a spiritual warrior. I, on the other hand, am a little wimp. I'm going on like this. And I'm thinking, and and every comparison I'm losing, and it's just getting worse and worse and more desperate, right? And finally, I'm so down, I say to the Lord, how can you stand to have someone like me working for you? I should be in the mailroom. I should be the company gopher. I shouldn't be in the management position that I'm in. I'm an incompetent fool. I'm lazy. I'm self-centered. I like food too much. I watch too much football. You know, I play cards on the computer all the time. I'm a loser. No, I'm not gambling for money, just hearts. Got a hearts program. It's awesome. And bridge, hearts and bridge. Crib sometimes for a diversion. Yeah, and you list all the things that's wrong with you, and oh, pretty soon you're just like the worst thing on earth. And I'm asking him, how do you feel about me? And he says, you please me. I'm thinking, no, no, bad answer, Lord. You're, you're, you're false. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're managing me. You're just making me feel better, you know? How can you be pleased with me? I could understand I died for your sins. You had to, right? I, I thought as he tolerates me, but you please me? And I said, no. How, how can I please you compared to this guy? who's so amazing in every way, you know? How can I please you? And he spoke to me. My little three-and-a-half-pound chihuahua, which is, we have no children, so this is our surrogate child. I'm not ashamed to say that. I lavish more love and affection. That dog's going to heaven by virtue of my love alone. I will drag his little carcass into heaven with me. Can he come? No, then I'm not coming either. Okay, bring your damn dog, you know? So I'm going to drag this. I love this dog like crazy. He brings me so much joy. It's almost incalculable. Every night before we go to bed, I go get him and I bring him in and I put him in the bed with my wife and she cuddles him for a few minutes and then I take him and put him in his own bed. And she loves that ritual. It's sick. We're the kinds of people that dress the dog up. We don't, we've never... Other people give us stupid stuff and we dress the dog up. It's a hobby for them. We don't actually like support this in each other, but we love the little outfits, take photos and send it out on the Internet. Oh, what's wrong with us? Okay. so anyway, I'm having this conversation with God and Pete's rolling around in my lap with his latest toy, which happens to be a leaf off the bush over there, which he brings over to get me to throw for him. Oh, it's crazy. And I'm asking God, how can, I, how, do I, how can it be that someone like me pleases you? And this is what the Lord said to me. He said, would you be, he said, are you, are you less pleased with Pete? The dog's name is Pete. He said, are you less pleased with Pete because he's not a trained German shepherd guard dog? Does he please you less because he's not a trained German shepherd guard dog? And I said, No, I'm crazy about him the way he is. I don't want him to change. And God said, that's how I feel about you. So stop with the complaining. That's that's why I'm pleased with you. Because you're the way I made you to be. And I get joy out of you. See, that's the truth. 
That's the core of what it is to be loved and accepted by God. And when you know that and that penetrates you, you just don't care about so many of the other issues. The more secure you are in God's love, the less these other fears and doubts and everything else, the less vulnerable you are to the lies. Right? That's how it works. Ultimately, we're looking for an encounter between the love of the Father and the person in the vehicle of truth. They're believing the lie that they don't deserve to to hear from him. Find that and get rid of it. Once you get rid of that one, they can start hearing from him on all the other lies and all the other issues. Now, it is possible, listen to this, it is possible that a false religious spirit may attempt to imitate Jesus in this process. doesn't happen very often, but sometimes you'll be there and it's time for them to hear from the Lord and some sort of vivid image or some thought will come which is not God. It's, it's, it's a lying spirit trying to lead them into a conclusion which would just lead to further lies and further trouble. You need, as they're telling you the truth that they're hearing, they say, I heard the Lord say this. Here's an example. Um, their, their big issue is fear. And um, the lie is that, um, that they have to fear rejection from people. And then you say, let's wait for the Lord to speak. And the, Lord's, the Lord, <laughs> what they think is the Lord, says this. It's okay to be afraid. I understand. Now, do you think that was God? God never counsels fear. The Bible makes it very clear. Fear is the enemy. Perfect love casts out all fear. So a voice that accommodates that fear and says it's okay to be afraid sometimes, it's false comfort. Do you understand? It's a lie from the enemy. And as a good counselor, you know what the Bible says about these sorts of things. And you can say, "Mm, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't think that's the Lord. Because the Bible says we're not supposed to live with fear. And fear is one of our enemies. So let's listen again. And then you say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I command any false spirit to be gone right now. Be silent and be gone. We open ourselves only to the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. And then you wait again. Sometimes a religious spirit or something else will come in and try to mislead. doesn't happen very often. But when they're giving an answer as to the truth that they've heard, and it is not consistent with Scripture, it is not God. And you step in at that point and you say, No, let's listen again. You don't make a big issue out of it and freak them out. Oh, there's a deceiving spirit in the room. That only, that's a distraction. You just, you just pray against falsehood and you, uh, you wait again and invite the spirit to speak. Okay. When you sense that the person has heard from the Lord, you repeat the truth to them, that they have heard. That's what I did with you. Say that again. Say that again. Say it out loud. Say it again. You get them to repeat it so the truth is articulated by them. They've said the truth. They've heard their own mouths say the truth. With your mouth, you confess the truth. Right? When you sense that, you have them speak it out loud. And now it's time to find out if they got it. To what measure has this truth taken root in their thinking? So now you're going to test the strength of the lie again. You're going to go back to the lie You're going to state the lie for them in exactly the same way you stated it the first time. And you're going to say, put a number on it between 0 and 10. How true does it feel? 
And if it's gone down, great. If it hasn't gone down and there's no change at all, then we didn't hear the truth and we need some more. And you go back to <clears throat> doing a better job of, of hearing the truth and trying that again. If it's gone down from a 9 to a 2, you're probably done. If it goes from a 9 to a 5, there's other lies you need to find, and you repeat the process until you find the other lies. Here's an example. Sometimes, oftentimes, lies are distinct, but they're related. For example, the first lie they may, may hear is, I will never have good friends. All right? I will never have good friends. All right, that's a lie worth attacking. So you go after that. And all it turns out to be is from a, from a nine to a six. You're not done. Maybe there's another lie. So you press a little further, and the next lie that comes up is, I don't deserve to have people love me. Well, that's a little different. All right? That's getting down. We just peeled the level of the onion. And then you test that lie. Well, that lie moved from a nine to a six as well, or from a seven to a five. Well, that's the stump, something else. So you go back again. And then you get, I don't deserve to receive God's love. Now, that's really getting closer to the point, isn't it? And you test that one, and that one goes from a 9 to a 6. But it's still not done. And then you go back and listen for another line, and you end up with, I have to be perfect to deserve love. Cha-ching. There's the big one. The others clustered around that. They only get to stay because that one's in place. So you go after that one. And if you see a major drop there, test the others and you'll find they've dropped too. You with me? So understand that associated lies, <clears throat> there can be more than one lie present. And if you're not getting the major ones the first time around, then keep going till you find the major one. Go after the major one, then go back and test the others and you'll probably find that they've dropped down. All right? Okay. Finally, or almost finally, ask God to reveal anything else he wants to say or to lead them to any other memory where there's a lie rooted. It's just sort of like your boilerplate. Check one last time. See if there's weight on the Lord. If there's anything else he wants to say, please, Lord, say it. Is there any other uh, <clears throat> place we need to see healed or memory we need to see healed? Go and do that. There may be more than one lie rooted, but God may or may not want to deal with it. At this time, healing is a process. You don't have to force the event. It's a childbirth, not a cesarean, right? So you take it as far as God wants to go in that session. And if that's all there is, then you start it again another time. And this may take several times, but that's okay. Finally, close in prayer, thanking God for what he's done. Trust that he'll continue to lead and renew our minds encourage the person to journal. Write down what they've experienced. Write down what God said. Return to it frequently in prayer. I would say for every day for six weeks. Return to that experience and keep on mining the truth out of that vein of gold. Now, finally, only after this process is complete. Is it time for you to offer your revelation? Do you understand? And you better be a little careful about offering your revelation because if it's a rabbit trail that leads off in another direction, you can, have, you can be in the process of undoing what God has just done with red herrings. Sometimes I'll say, 
You know, I got that same thing. Let me tell you about a vision I had while you were describing your memory, as long as it's exactly the same point. And another way of underlining what God just said. Yeah, you know, I got this really strong sense that dot, dot, dot. As long as it complements what the Lord has done, doesn't take it or undo it or send it in another direction. Sharing your revelation is great. But there's a lot of times when you don't even need to do that. It's usually ego that wants to express that revelation at that point. Like, hey, I'm really smart. I got it ahead of you. Well, you're supposed to. You're the counselor. If you didn't, I'm worried. All right. Possible sources. We will be done shortly. We're going <clears> to <throat> blow through this, but they're in the notes in greater detail. Possible sources of interference in the process. Number one, pent up or suppressed emotions. Okay. <laughs> Possible sources of interference in the process. Uh, pent up or suppressed emotions. There are people, lots of us, who have not learned how to appropriately express emotions of anger, grief, and fear. So they get suppressed, and our society and people tell us to overcome our emotions and stuff our emotions, and don't go there, and nobody wants to hear your problems, and blah, 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 blah. Uh, so how do you get through? How do you get down to these core things? I know this is going to sound a little bit cheesy to some of you, but... Um, one counselor I know who's really, really good. Is the Lord good or what? Now, I'm willing to sell these. Triple portion. I'm going to start with the one Gail brought because of the, I don't want to break the seals on these. Um, now, she has a thing she calls pound and pray. Second time I saw her, I was really depressed about something in my life. Um, and, you know, the only, the only emotion that I could get in touch with was hopelessness. I just feel hopeless, like there's no chance of this changing. I'm stuck like this for the rest of my life in this bad situation. And um, she said, no, there's, there's other emotions underneath. Hopelessness is a result emotion, like anger. It's not the primary cause. I want you to get underneath of it. And I mean, I really tried waiting, but I just felt so much despair. It was hopeless. It's like this isn't even worth doing. And she said, well, we got to break through. Here's the, here's, the, here's the plastic baseball bat. There's the mat on the floor. Get down and beat it. And I said, what? You know, this is so Californian weird. I mean, I, I'm from Canada. We don't do weird stuff. And she said, no, this will get your emotions going. This will raise something to the surface. Even if it's anger, at least we can find out what anger is about. This despair thing is really hard to crack. So she said, go on, go for it. And I think I was so embarrassed to go for it that I started to work a little harder. I said, I don't want to do that. Why not? She said, why not? I said, because now I know what it is. <laughs> It's coming up, okay? Just don't make me do anything really stupid. But I saw that the threat of this worked for me. And there are many people that, especially for guys, you got all this anger and it's not coming out and you don't know what it's about. If you physically involve yourself in expressing it, about the third or fourth hit, you start to realize why you're mad. You know, images of your boss or whatever come to mind and, and you're getting in touch with things. You've, you've loosened it up and it started to be physically expressed. So now it can be verbally expressed. That's a way to overcome it for some people.
I believed her so much that I went and bought this fireplace tool with a big brass handle on it, and I unscrewed it, so I just had to handle it sitting in the garage for the day I need to beat this rug. I've never had to. But just the fact that it's there is reassuring for me. If I ever really get angry and have to figure out what the heck this is about, I can take that thing, go into the garage, and beat on a rug for a few minutes and see what pops up. Thank God. Well, I thank God. Who cares whether you do or you don't? But I haven't had to. But see, I just want you to know, some people that actually teach you on Sundays are as twisted as you are, or more so. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Rick. That, that's what I need to do here. Okay, some people don't get in touch with the whole process of, of um, hearing from God because they are, they are really angry with how they've been treated and abused, and they have a desire for revenge. And that bitterness and anger and hatred is, is so dominant and so strong, they can't get around it to, to get at any of the other root emotions. These people are going to have to forgive. They're going to have to forgive to get deeper. And your job is to bring them to the realization that this anger and this bitterness and this desire for revenge is preventing anything good from God coming into their hearts and into their minds. And you're going to have to deal with it. And that's where you get into the fact that his, what you think is impossible to forgive, God has the power to forgive through you if you'll let him help you and call out for that help from the Holy Spirit. There will be lies that tell them not to let go of the anger. There will be lies that say to them, if you forgive this person, you're letting them off the hook. And you need to remind them, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Your anger for that person isn't hurting them at all. It's hurting you. Let me take care of the justice in this situation. You need to get free. So you lead them through forgiveness, and and we know how that works, and you get that out of the way. Then all of a sudden there will be an increased ability to hear God's voice because they've obeyed him and they've dealt with something that's plugging up the pipe. There's interesting theological lies that will mess up the healing process. And I I ran into this with a guy who had Lou Gehrig's disease back in Canada. We wanted to pray for him right in the height of a revival when the healing gifts were really flowing. Uh, He was dying. He was a a psychologist, by the way, who was dying of Lou Gehrig's disease. And full of faith, I went to him, destined to fail. I went to him and said, listen, we've seen all these healings and stuff, and we love you so much. It's just horrible to watch you suffering. We'd like to pray for you for physical healing. And he said, no, wouldn't wouldn't even be prayed for. And I said, why not? And he said, the Lord has shown me that all of the things I've learned and developed in my character would not have happened but for this disease. And here's the lie. And he told me this. And if I get well and my health is restored, I'll lose all the lessons that I've gained. I mean, it's ridiculous. So God is keeping you sick and taking you quickly towards death to refine your character. And then he's going to kill you and your fine character isn't going to do anybody or yourself any good. This makes sense? But, I mean, we talked about it and that was his position and he refused to receive prayer and he died. Now that's a theological lie that, that the redemptive purpose of suffering is so great that we should keep the suffering in place. Yeah, that's what's behind the, the self-flagellation and sleeping on nails by monks in the, in the um, church in the early days. The church went through tremendous persecution, including physical 
financial, social, emotional, all this, all this uh, persecution. And in the middle of this persecution, the Christians grew tremendously. So when the persecution stopped, when Considine made it the official religion of the Roman Empire and the persecution stopped, the monks decided the persecution should not stop because it was so good for our souls. So they invented persecution of themselves and they associated that with holiness. You see? And we have that same philosophy running today that somehow because God can bring good out of pain, pain is good. That's not true. That does not logically follow. Just because God can bring pain out of suffering does not make suffering good. God can bring good out of anything. God can, guess what? This is really hard to believe. God can bring good out of good. He's just as good as, and, and just because you learn something in a crisis doesn't mean the crisis has to keep on going to keep the thing you learned. That was the lie he was subject to. So that false theological understanding kept him from receiving healing, or at least kept him from receiving prayer for healing. There are lies that make a tragedy even worse. For instance, anyone will feel deep pain at the loss of a loved one or the loss of personal health or any other tragedy. It is normal to feel pain. It is not unhealthy to feel pain at the loss of a loved one or the loss of a job or the loss of your personal health or any other tragedy. But there are lies that attach to that loss that complicate or increase or perpetuate the normal grief. The person may interpret the loss of a loved one to be that God doesn't want them to be happy or that they didn't deserve that person's love and so it had to be taken away. If that's what they're thinking, they're never going to get over the pain of that person's loss. Yes, it's a misinterpretation of events and a, and a wrong conclusion about the nature of God. I remember one woman... Um, who lost her husband, who she was absolutely crazy about. And, <clears throat> I mean, he was a great husband. He was one of those, like, guys that's just as good a husband as you can get. And they had so many great years together, but she was still young. And I asked her, you know, you know, it's been five years since Bob's been gone. And um, what do you think about remarrying? Oh, I could never do that. Why not? It would dishonor his memory. To respect him and love him, I must remain single for the rest of my life, even though I'm lonely. That's not true. It doesn't dishonor someone's memory to go out and find a new husband when you need one. Bob's up there in heaven saying, honey, go find a new husband. You need one. I really love you. I want the best for you. There's a lie operating here that takes the normal grief and perpetuates the normal grief to turn it into oppression because they've got a misunderstanding or a lie has taken root in a natural process that should have grief in it, but not for the rest of your life. Another part of some emotions may be that we think we have to handle them on our own. And so we're caring far more than Jesus intends us to carry. Guys especially, they won't seek help. They won't admit a problem. They'll tough it out. It's the whole Rambo thing. Yeah, or project it onto someone else and ruin somebody else's life. It's this independent spirit. Guys, America is the most independent country in the history of humankind. Independence. The spirit of independence is greater 
in this country, in this culture, than it has ever been in human history. There's been no other culture that's as independent, as alienated, as individualistic. We worship individualism in this country. Did you know that individualism only dis- only developed as a as a socio political thought about 300 years ago? It didn't exist in as a concept in human affairs prior to that. It's a particularly Western. Really. It's it's the glasses that we wear, and so we think it's normal. It's not normal. It's sick. See, there's three states. There's interdependent, independent, and dependent. Dependent is bad. Independence is bad. And interdependence is healthy. And we're incredibly independent, which means I don't admit anything and I don't need any help. And if I do have a problem, I can fix it on my own. Christianity is interdependent with dependence on God and interdependence with one another. It's not about independence. The entire context of a Christian's life is how they interact in community. If you say you love God, but you don't love your brother and sisters, you're kidding yourself. This is how they will know that that you people are my disciples. Why? By your theology? By the version of the Bible that you have? By your good deeds? No, by how you love one another. The test of your faith is in your relationships. We're interdependent. So you've got to understand, one of the cultural lies that we breathe in every day in this country is individualism in a, in a, in a radical, extreme form. So know that that might be influencing the person that you're dealing with. Unconfessed sin. If there's some unconfessed sin going on, unrepentant, unconfessed sin in the person's life, they may not hear from God in this process because they are holding and cherishing something to themselves which is rebellious. They're slapping God in the face with this sin. They won't deal with it. Uh, And I'm not saying you have to be perfect for this to work. That, of course, is an oxymoron. If you were perfect, you wouldn't be dealing with these issues. But, guys, habitually practiced, willfully practiced, unrepentant sin is rebellion. And the Bible says it's unto the sin of witchcraft. You find yourself deceived when you habitually practice unrepentant sin. You will be deceived. You will fall under a false spirit, probably a false religious spirit. So if you know, if the person comes to you and says, you know, you're trying to work these things through and you start asking them about sin in their life and they say, yeah, well, there is this one thing. I mean, it's, it's not that big a deal. I, I kinda, I, I'm kind of into pornography. Oh, really? How into it are you? Well, you know, I mean, it pops up on the computer. How often does it pop up on the computer? Well, every day, a couple times a day. And how long do you watch it? For only 10 or 15 minutes. Do you masturbate? Yeah, well, once. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah, I do. When I feel the need every couple days. How long have you been doing that? Well, not that long, four or five years. Really, do you know that it's wrong? Yeah, but, you know, everyone needs their comfort. Well, let's deal with that before we try to get the rest of this stuff dealt with. Sick. Do you have any idea the extent of pornography in the church today? Oh, please. I I led a men's group for five or six years in our church, all young men. I was the only one in the room that didn't have a problem with pornography. I'm not saying that out of pride. I just don't. It's just never been one of my issues. 
every single one of them. Guys get real with one another. Pornography is a big issue. And because it's on the computer, used to be if you're going to get into pornography, you had to go to 7-Eleven and look like a creep in front of other people while you got a nasty magazine. Now you just have to click the right thing when it pops up and you get all you can handle and more. Right? You guys, it's it's huge, huge problem. Probably the number one sin problem in the church today, according to the stuff I've looked at. Amongst pastors, too. That's really bad. That warps you. So unconfessed sin, that can be an issue. Avoidance of pain. A common fear is just facing the pain. And as long as a person won't face the pain, they can't go back to the scene of the crime and they can't get in touch with the emotions and they can't find the lies. So you've got to be ready. Your hunger to get well has got to be bigger than your fear of the pain. And sometimes... You're, sometimes your biggest job as a counselor is to help them to see that they're running from the pain and that they're not going to get well until they're willing to face it. And that may take them some time, you know. They may say, I'm just not ready. Okay, then relax and tell, we'll do it later. Call me when you feel you're ready to face this. And you don't push them or manipulate them. You wait for them to be ready. Okay, the flatline person, <clears throat> this is the completely unemotional person. They just don't see or hear well. They're just generally unemotional people. They're not in touch with what's going on inside. Rule out the other impediments that might be in the way, all the ones we just talked about. But if all of those aren't the issue, they're just one of those people that has a very, very repressed emotional life. For them, when God speaks, it might be simply a change or a realization in what they understand in their minds. Like a new thought comes in and it dawns on them. doesn't have an emotional content. They don't go wow. They don't weep. They don't express all this joy. They just begin to think differently. That's it. They just heard. Not the way we wanted. It's not very spectacular. It doesn't make a great story. But it happened. If after this realization their memory is free of a negative emotion, then healing's taken place. We've talked about demonic interference in the process. There's another one that um, came, it came about as a result of an unfortunate book that was written about 20 years ago. Many of the healing techniques that were coming out a long time ago had mental imagery as part of the process. What do you see in the, in the mind's eye? And letting Jesus come into the memory. And particularly unfortunate book was written that slagged that and a whole bunch of other things as being new age. Well, you know what? That's just nonsense. The Bible is full of imagery. It's hard to read the teachings of Jesus without having mental images attached. How I have longed to hold you in my arms like a mother holds a baby. I've longed to gather you beneath my wings like a hen with her chicks. A mother might forget her child, but I could never forget you because I've written you. I've written your name on the palm of my hands. As I said, all those things, you were seeing images. I'm the vine, you're the branches. The kingdom of God is like a net. You can't read that purely intellectually without having some imagery in mind. Our imaginations are, listen to me, this is really important. The people that, the people that criticize the use of imagination in healing context say that the imagination is unsafe. We can only trust our reason. Did you know that your reason fell at the fall just as well as your imagination? 
Okay? So who says you can trust your reason? The Bible says we're subject to doctrines taught by demons, ideas that came from hell. And they're held and justified by whacked out bad interpretations of scripture that all got done by fallen reason. So you can't trust your imagination, so never use it. Well, you can't trust your reason either, so stop using it. The, the imagination, guys, is a faculty. It's an ability God gave us to picture events, to see things through the mind's eye and make them more real and more significant. Football players, hockey players, baseball players are taught to imagine scoring, see their body going through the motions, Imagine the deke sideways. Imagine turning and seeing the ball coming and reaching out and catching it with one hand and pulling it in. Imagine making that move to get into the end zone. Because if you can relive it in your mind, when it comes to doing it, you've already experienced a part of it through the imagination. You're going to be better at doing it because you've imagined it. It's a facility that's been given to us by God to understand truth at another level. There's fallen imagination. We call that lust. Okay, there's the use of imagination for sin. There's also the use of the imagination for good. There's use of the reason for sin, uh, uh, the use of the facility of reason to cause sin. You can plan to do bad things and you can come up with a really good plan. But then there's the use of reason to do good things. The question is not whether reason is better.